0: Our first reading this morning can be found on page 12 uh, in the first section of your Bible. And it comes from Genesis chapter 15, beginning at the first verse. And this comes just after um, a dramatic rescue of Abram's nephew, Lot. And so it says, After these things... The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no offspring, and so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look upwards to heaven and count the stars if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, and a young pigeon. He brought him all these and cut them in two, laying each half over the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and a deep and terrifying darkness descended upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, "'Know this for certain, that your offspring shall be aliens in a land that is not theirs, and shall be slaves there, and they shall be oppressed for four hundred years.' But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your ancestors in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete." When the sun had gone down and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I will give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand for the Gospel reading. The Gospel can be found on page 7 in the back of your church Bibles. And it comes from Matthew chapter 8, beginning at verse 5. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. When Jesus entered Capernaum, A centurion came to him, appealing to him and saying, Lord, my servant is is lying at home paralyzed in terrible distress. And he said to him, I will come and cure him. The centurion answered, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only speak the the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and the slave does it. When Jesus heard him, he was amazed and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, No one in Israel have I found with such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and will eat with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the heirs of the kingdoms will be thrown into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you according to your faith. And the servant was healed in that hour. This is the Gospel of Christ. Praise Praise to you, O Christ.
1: May thoughts and words be to the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Do please be seated. See, I can do informal, uh, and we now have ancient and modern. I think he's the modern, and I'm the ancient. I've been looking forward to preaching on this subject. My late grandfather was called Abraham. My late grandmother was called Sarah. So if I was at all tuneful, I'd be able to say... Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, I'm one of them. Do you remember it? A Long time ago. Our Genesis reading is perhaps one of the great seminal passages of Scripture in importance for both Jews and Christians. But what a mixture it is, filled with peculiar ancient inheritance customs, like adopting a slave to become your heir. Divine promises that still shape international politics even today as in the land given to Abraham's children in perpetuity. Doctrines that are central to the Christian gospel like faith being credited as righteousness and mysterious ceremonies like the smoking pot and a fiery torch passing through pieces of butchered meat. And at the heart of it all is the concept of covenant, God's promises and Abraham's response of faith. It runs down the spine of the Bible and forms the basis of God's dealing with humanity. Fascinatingly, Abraham's celebrated faith is not exactly steady. He begins with an almost sarcastic question in response to God's gracious introduction and promise of great reward. Even after he believes God and is credited to him as righteousness, his faith is riddled with questions and doubt and he demands proof that God will really do what God has promised. In this sense... Abraham is just like us as we journey along in this life of faith, believing but questioning, trusting but doubting, and looking for certainty even in the darkness. Abraham, still then the exalted father, before he becomes Abraham, the father of many nations. The only certainty is, is the God who always initiates, who always responds, who always keeps his promises, who is present even in the darkness, whose grace is at the heart of the covenant. As St. Paul so precisely put it, we are saved by grace through faith. Parts of this story are so bizarre that we can't relate to them at all. You and I have probably never cut up animals and arranged their body parts in a row. We'd probably be charged with cruelty if we did. But for all its strangeness, this is a story many of us can ultimately relate to very easily. We know what it's like to begin a walk with God as Abraham did We've heard God's call to believe his promises and leave behind our life in a fallen world and walk with him as pilgrims in a foreign land. In the beginning, our walk with God was hopefully sweetness and light. Yet, there were times when we strayed from the path of obedience and faith was put under pressure Life pressure, life circumstances. As Abraham did in Egypt in his encounter with the Pharaoh. You can read it in Genesis 12. But as then, God was merciful, led us out of the trouble we'd caused for ourselves and brought us back home to himself. We've no doubt faced major choices along the way as Abraham did with Lot, read it in Genesis 13 and we've had conflict with the world as described in Genesis 14 but God has blessed each step of the way by and large maybe walking with God has been good but maybe then came the darkness after years of walking by faith in the promises of God you've discovered that those promises haven't always come true You've become sick or lost a loved one or faced financial ruin or seen your children walk away from the Lord and you began to struggle with your faith. You question God in the darkness. What can even God do in this impossible situation? How can I be sure that God will do what God has promised? And that's where Abraham is in his walk with God in Genesis 15 you ought to read this again later when you get time with God's blessing he's just won an astounding victory against a much larger army in chapter 14 here God comes to him with words of assurance do not be afraid Abraham I am your shield your very great reward What's just happened, what you've just experienced, I will do again. You can expect me to reward you in the future. What a wonderful word from God. But Abraham is struggling with his faith. So he responds, not with a, that's great, thank you God, but with a question. Question. A sad, despairing, almost bitter question. What can you give me since I remain childless? It's not an unbelieving question. He does call God sovereign Lord. He believes God is in charge of his life. But he's struggling to believe that God can do what God has promised. Does it sound familiar? Now, please, don't get hung up about literal ages and timescales in Scripture. For now, at the age of 75, Abraham first heard the promise of God about a wonderful future filled with blessings. But now the future looms as empty as Sarai's womb. Without children, there is no future for Abraham, and no future for those great promises that God had made, God has repeated those promises at least three times now, but it's been years since Abraham's walk with God began, and he's not getting any younger, possibly 85 by now. Abraham asked, What is the likelihood that I will have a son? And without one, God, what can you give me? that will really matter. Still, deep down in his heart was a lurking loneliness, a gnawing fear that he had somehow misunderstood the promises of God. It had been ten years since God had said to him, Abram, I am going to give you a son. His descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth and you shall become the father of many nations. Ten years of waiting had passed. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, says Proverbs 13. That sickness was beginning to creep into his very soul. Now suddenly, as Abraham tosses on his bed at night in his tent, there comes a sense of the presence with him of God in his heart he hears that mysterious word of the lord sometimes the lord spoke audibly to those old testament giants sometimes it was in the heart with a quiet deep conviction that god is speaking every christian who has walked in fellowship with jesus christ for very long knows what that means we aren't told how God spoke to Abraham, but in the midst of his fear and doubt and loneliness, there comes a sense of relief. And the word of the Lord says, Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. I am the sufficient answer to your heart and to your fear. Of course, God is the answer. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is our shield, whom should we fear? I love that verse in Hebrews. He has said, I will never fail you nor forsake you. Hence, we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Hebrews 13. I am your shield. That's what comforted, him, comforted Abraham's heart there in the darkness. It was all he needed to settle his worries about the return of that defeated king and about the loss of his fortune in Sodom. Abraham is questioning the voice of God, the very word on which he had staked his life before this, because he has come against a thick and impenetrable darkness. His life is simply out of synchronisation with the promises of God. And he can't see how God can possibly do anything about it. In fact, Abraham is about to take the future into his own hands. Maybe I'll adopt Eliezer, a servant in my household, to be my heir and to take care of me in the future Since you haven't kept your promises, Sovereign Lord, maybe I'll have to take care of myself. What can you give me since I remain childless in spite of your promise to give me a family? What does God do when our faith questions him in the darkness? He calls us to faith by repeating his promise. He says, this man, this slave, will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. Then he takes Abraham outside into the dark of night and points to the heavens and says, count the stars if you can, that's how many your offspring will be. Rather than being angry with Abraham's question, God reassures him, that the promise will come true. And he adds an object lesson, something Abraham can see, thousands of points of light in the darkness that symbolize his descendants. And Abraham got it. Abraham believed God, and God credited it to him as righteousness. That, of course, is repeated by St. Paul in Romans as proof of his great doctrine of justification by faith alone. Abraham had not been righteous. Think, for example, of what he did with his wife in Egypt. But he believed God's promise and God credited that faith to him as righteousness. Let's face it, there are times... When we just can't trust that way, repetitions of God's promises and even visible signs of God's faithfulness leave us still in the dark. And we continue to question God. So did Abram. Even though he trusted when God repeated the first covenant promise about a son, he wasn't so sure when God repeated the second promise about the land. And so what about all the times we haven't seen God come through for us in the way we hoped and prayed for? When our world comes crushing down on us and there's no magical happy ending. When the biopsy comes back malignant. When you get laid off from work and you can't find another job. When your spouse leaves you when your child takes a wrong turn in life, where is God then? Your faith can be severely tested, severely shaken. But you know that, don't you? Faith in God's goodness faces a tough challenge at times like these. And we need to be honest about that. Putting on a happy face and pretending the problems don't exist won't cut it faith has to be able to deal with these adverse realities Abraham hasn't lost his faith though Abraham calls God sovereign Lord he isn't sure he can trust God with this matter of the land it's bigger than just an heir it's huge, a whole land Abraham has been in the land for ten years now And he's still just a visitor, living in tents here and there. And he's surrounded by people who already possess the land. The end of the chapter lists ten. Do you remember all the different ites? (laughs) They were all living in Canaan at the time. How can I be sure you will give me this land? How can I be sure... Is that the question you sometimes ask? And how does God respond? With to us a bizarre command. Bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Those were the four kinds of sacrificial animals in Israel. Abraham obeys. And for some unexplained reason, cuts the larger animals in half and arranges their blooded carcasses in two rows with the dove on one side and the pigeon on the other. Why did Abraham do that? What on earth does this strange ritual have to do with knowing for sure that God will keep his promise? And things get even murkier. As God sends an even deeper darkness, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. But, as was the case on Mount Sinai, God was in the darkness. Hear that. God was in the darkness and spoke to Abraham out of the darkness. God makes specific promises about Abraham's future and the future of his descendants. In the darkness, God is saying, I have a plan for your future. The road that stretches before into the darkness is all laid out by me. The darkness is not ruled by the forces of darkness and evil and chaos and chance but by Yahweh, the sovereign God. He will keep his promise to those who walk with him in faith. And here's how we can be sure. When the sun had set, the darkness had fallen. A smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces of the animals. What is that all about, I hear you saying? Remember, I have my advanced hearing aids now. I hear it before you even say it. What is all this about? Well, the fire pot and the torch represented God himself, as on Mount Sinai, when God was in the smoke and the fire and the darkness. Why did God pass between the pieces of sacrificial animals? The next verse explains. On that day, God made a covenant with Abraham. A covenant. And that would have made instant sense to Abraham, because it was common practice in the ancient world when two parties wanted to enter into a covenant an unbreakable agreement with each other, they would kill sacrificial animals and arrange them as Abraham did. Then they would walk together down their corridor of carcasses, their highway of blood, as a way of swearing that they would be faithful to each other. It was like signing an ironclad contract, bristling with clauses specifying penalties for non-compliance and non-performance. This strange ceremony was saying, in effect, may God do to me what I have done to these animals if I don't keep my promises. But note, the marvellous thing here is that the only one of the covenant partners who walked through the highway of blood, it was God alone who swore he would keep his promises on pain of death. May I be sacrificed like an animal if I do not keep my promises to you. How can we be sure God will keep his promises in the darkness in which we so often find ourselves? The Bible says, God has made a covenant with us, But he did that in a stronger way than he did with Abraham. Think of the deep and dreadful darkness that enveloped Calvary at noon that awful Friday. Think of God's only son being sacrificed on the cross. God didn't just symbolically pass through a corridor of carcasses, walking untouched down a highway of blood to prove his faithfulness. Know the Lamb of God offered his own body as a sacrifice, shed his own blood, subjected himself to the blazing fire of God's justice as a guarantee that God will keep all his promises to the children of Abraham who trust God as Abraham did. And we are covenant children of Abraham too. We are covenant children of Abraham too. God didn't just swear to keep his promises on pain of death. He died so that we could know for sure that he will keep his promises no matter how dark it may get in our lives. Heaven and earth may pass away, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You can stake your life on that. For so did God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.